This morning, we are, we keep on talking on a theme that Pastor Hemi started, which is uncommon sense. And uh, we, through this series, we'll be looking at um, people that we wouldn't normally consider saints, uh, but they have marked their time, their community, and their history. One of the things that I love about this series is uh, it's always good to have a look at heroes and saints that we have in the Bible. But when we talk about sometimes people who lived in the country where we are living, experience what we might be experiencing, who are closer to us, it makes a difference. And it also pushed us to start looking around us. Probably you are a saint, also an uncommon saint, maybe you don't know, or maybe somebody beside you is also a saint. So for today, we are going to talk about Richard Allen. But before I go to him, the scripture that we talked about is Galatian, chapter 3. And I'm going to encourage you, when you get some time this afternoon, to just go through the letter. It's one of the short it's not really that short, but you can finish it in a few hours. It's a very interesting letter because um, the tone that Paul uses in this letter is a little bit um, offensive comparing to the other letters, if you have common with the letters that Paul wrote, whether Philippians, whether Corinthians. And it is for a very valid reason. And one other thing about this letter is a lot of reformers, they use this letter because the basis of this letter is all about talking about we are just, justification by faith and not by works. So I'm going to encourage you to take some time and uh, just read through and hear his argument. It's, it's, it's very, very moving. Now just to give you an example of the tone of this letter in chapter three, Paul starts introduce this chapter by saying, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. You wouldn't expect those languages in the Bible, right? Of course, I wouldn't justify the use of those languages either way. Now the context around the letter is, as you all know, Paul was a missionary he used to plant churches. Now, it happened that, and you know, the technology around that time was not that advanced and everything, so he had to plant churches and then move to the other part of the, um, of the country to plant other churches. It happened that after planting the church in Galatia, and when he left, some other preachers came after him. They came to preach the Galatians a different gospel than what Paul preached them. Now, there is a good chance that these preachers who came later were Christian Jews. Now, when they came, they started preaching the Galatians who were Gentiles, were not Jews, telling them that in order for your salvation to be complete, you need to be circumcised as circumcision is a big thing in the Jewish tradition. 
Now, I want to do the devil advocate a little bit here for them. To one extent, I felt like they were a little bit right in the sense that I tried to put myself in their shoes. I would be like, if Jesus was a Jew, and you guys want to benefit from our Jewish Messiah, then you have to do some of our traditions and some of what the law requires. Now, the only problem with that argument, Paul talks about it and Jesus talks about it, is themselves, the Jews, they are not good at keeping the law, but they are good at imposing on other people. That was one of the big arguments Jesus had. So, definitely doesn't stand for them to require the Galatians to get to follow the law, the Torah, in order for them to be, to be fully saved. And even theologically, this is problematic. And that's the reason why Paul was arguing and he was a little bit harsh. It is because if we want to upkeep the law, what it means for us Christians is that we are saying that the work of Jesus is not enough. His blood is not enough. So we have to supplement it with something else in order for Jesus to save us. In other words, we want to help Jesus save us. And that is very inconsistent with our theology and with what Paul was teaching. So in the whole chapter 3, Paul went on from touching the, the promises of Abraham, proving how, uh, I love some way he said that the only reason we, even Abraham himself, our ancestor, the reason we consider him as the ancestor is because he believed it was not because of his word. Now, it's very important for us to remember this morning that we are not saved by our works. We are saved by faith because we believe. What that means is that the way we respond to that love of God is different from one person to another. In other words, is when, let me take an example, when we sing, when the choir sings, we don't, for instance, the choir does not sing so that they can be saved. No, they sing in response to the salvation which is already given, the love of God which is already given. Now, not everybody has the talent to sing. So now we can have people such as uh, Mary Lou or the Johnsons who are greeting people. So that's the way they are responding to the love of God. The problem with these Jewish Christians, they, they wanted to bring laws which was a little bit static that you have to do this in order to you, for you to be saved. But you know, as Christians, the way we respond to the salvation may be different. You may be saying that I don't have a gift of singing and I'm not comfortable greeting people. I'm going to be an usher. That's the way you are responding to the love of God. It's the same way even when we give. We do not give so that we can earn heaven or salvation from God. No, we give in response to the love, the grace of God that God has already provided. 
I think this is very important because sometimes as the church, we may be blindsided when people respond to the love of God differently than the way we would have expected. And most of the time, we, we may respond in a very unfriendly way because the person is responding in a different way than we would have expected. This is what led me to the story that we... Um, the person that we are talking today, Richard Allen. He was born into slavery in Philadelphia in 1760, and he taught himself how to read and to write, which was probably common for most people uh, in his condition. He was converted at 17 years old and began to preach when he was 22 in the Methodist churches. If I want to connect a little bit there is, there is something that sometimes as Christians we forget is, when God wants to call somebody, he will not come and ask me and you, or consult me and you, that I'm about to call so and so. God will call whoever he wants. Now I was trying to imagine as somebody who was born into slavery and still he was the gift of preaching. And if there is something that I know about the gift of preaching, it's just something that is burning to the person. His story says that he started preaching on the plantation, started preaching at local churches, even in parks, that's in the outside, in public. There was a line that he said that sometimes he would awake in his sleep preaching and praying. I know how that feeling is for preachers. Again, that one shows us that when God chooses anybody, he doesn't consult us. He will call whoever you want. And us, we should be able to accept the gift that the people are bringing. That was something that the Christian Jews didn't see. They, wanted, they were not willing to accept Galatians the way they were. They wanted to add something on top of that. He was ordained by Bishop Francis Hasbury. For anybody who has taken history of the United of the Methodist Church in this country, it is the name that you cannot miss. He's, he's one of the most famous bishops of the church. So he was the first uh, African-American uh, clergy to be ordained. He joined the church, and um, the church that he joined limited his services, so he could only preach during early morning service, and the number of people who were supposed to attend was limited, and uh, it was just too much for somebody who had a passion to preach. And as you can guess to what he did next, he decided to leave because he didn't like the treatment that African-Americans were receiving from the church, including the fact that even in the church where he was preaching, there were still segregated pews. Now, when I was reading this story, I was trying to remember, I'm like, the scripture that we've read it today was not added to the Bible last year. It has been in the Bible for as long as the Bible has been the Bible. I wonder how people used to interpret what Paul said, 
that what makes us Christian is because we believed in Jesus. And in him, there is no Greek, there is no Jew, there is no slave, there is no free, there is no woman, there is no man. We are all the same. I remember one of my teachers of Methodist history back uh, in Ohio used to tell us that the history, because the Methodist church is such an old denomination, it has been intertwined with the history of this nation as well. And uh, in the history of the Methodist church, there have been splits now and then. It's frequent. It's not a surprise. But Richard Hallen initiated a split from the Methodist church that was purely based on racial discrimination. That's just the difference of... Because he moved on to go and create the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Now, what is my point in telling all this story? Sarpi County is growing. Papillion is growing. You should expect to see some people who look different walking those doors coming into the church service. Either for Sunday morning worship or either for activities. And if we don't talk about this, we might probably do as a church, we might probably make the same mistake that the Christian Jews did. We might probably reject the way they are responding to God's love. We might probably try to find out the way that they can assimilate to us and not let them be who God has called them to be. And this has nothing necessarily to do with race. You should expect people from different social backgrounds, from different neighborhoods, just different than regular people that you have on a Sunday worship service here. And one thing I love about St. Paul is our heart of hospitality, both inside the building and outside. And I thought it was important to remind each other that should that happen, we should be able to understand and to welcome them and to remember that we are all the same in Jesus. I would like even to push it a little bit further before I finish here. Actually, true evangelism does not happen within the church. It happens out there. So we have to look at the way we interact with people who are different from us, already in the community, already at our working place. Because it is the way we treat them out there that will make them to, 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 to say, I want to go to your church. Knowing that they won't feel isolated, they'll feel welcome. And we always to be reminded ourselves about the mission of this church is generation of disciples in our community and around the world. May God bless his word. Amen.
This is our time of offering. I'm going to invite you to um, prepare your heart. And as ushers are passing on the plate, thank you for your donation because that's what helps our ministry here at St. Paul. And as you are giving, may God richly bless you. Thank you. <laughs> 